Happy Mother's Day. This morning we celebrate living by faith through studying Hebrews 11. I see faith in Jesus lived throughout my mom. My mom trusts Jesus and his promises in raising me and my brother and being married to my dad. <laughs> I knew I would be. My mom's faith in Jesus pleases God and you too can please God through living by faith, totally trusting God and his promises. Please join me in reading Hebrews 6, 11, 6. And without faith, it is pro impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. All flesh is the gra is grass, and all its beauty is the flower of the field. Thank you, Thomas. Yeah. Okay, happy Mother's Day, everybody! And it is a joy to be with you this morning, and. If you have a Bible, please open it to Hebrews 11. We're actually going to walk through the majority of this passage. Thomas read verse 6. We're going to unpack that. Uh, and it is appropriate for Mother's Day. You can tell the way this passage begins in Hebrews 11. Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I got to tell you that uh, mothers uh, are, are the rare exception of people who actually embody this. As you raise children, uh, we're grateful for moms who are sure of what they hope for in raising kids and certain of what they do not see. If we didn't have mamas who believed for us, many of us wouldn't be standing here today. And so we're grateful for that. The truth is uh, that for humanity in general, uh, living by faith is not something that comes natural. So I'm going to begin this, uh, this may not be the appropriate day for this, but I'm going to begin with an example of my own difficulty to live by faith. There is a woman in my life that I almost always disagree with. I don't know if Mother's Day is the day to talk about women that I always disagree with. But this woman, my wife's getting really nervous, it's not Lisa. It is actually Siri's voice in my Apple Maps, all right? So I'm convinced that there's two kinds of people. There's people that plug in their destination and they hear, you know, you'll arrive in 17 minutes and here's the way you go. And they say, great. And they set off with great peace and they follow the directions and they listen to the voice and they arrive whenever they arrive. Then there's other people like me. And when you hear, you know, Siri's voice in maps and they give you the destination in the time, you hear that as not only a suggestion, but also a challenge, right? And it is the kind of thing where it's like, oh, you think it's going to take me seven mi 17 minutes to get there? Yeah, right. What world are you living in? Oh, wait, you're not. You're a computer governed by a satellite. And I take it as a challenge and I try to take shortcuts and I hurry up, and I, I honestly did not realize how bad it was in my life, how much of a problem I have until I, I arrived at a meeting a couple of weeks ago. I was five minutes late, 
But, you know, to when I was supposed to meet this person, whoever they were, it doesn't matter. What matters is that I was five minutes before Siri told me I could get there. And I got out of the car so excited, it was like I had just helped win an NBA playoff game. And I was just like, yeah, woo! This person was like, nice of you to show up. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. You see, people who live by faith, saved by grace, are sustained in our steps. And we, unlike me with Siri's voice with Google Maps, we hear God's direction and his promises of the place where we're going, not as a suggestion or a challenge, but we actually walk by faith. Now, we don't need to uh, self-validate ourselves when we're saved by faith. We don't need to perform in such a way where if we achieve well, it goes on the scoreboard and we get a big head. Or if we perform poorly, it doesn't go to our head, it goes to our heart and becomes toxic. You see, we're saved by grace through faith. And so we live from grace by grace in faith in the person and the promises of God. Now, this passage sits neatly in the context. If you remember two weeks ago, at the end of chapter 10, the last verse, verse 39, it talks about being of those who persevere, who do not shrink back. Those are people that live by faith. And then at the beginning of chapter 12, it's a very famous chapter where it says that we are surrounded by what? A great cloud of witnesses. These are people who live by faith. And so among these bookends of the end of chapter 10 and the beginning of chapter 12, we go on this journey through chapter 11, okay? Now, here's how we're gonna break down the passage. The passage, uh, the chapter breaks down neatly into two categories. First, verses one to seven, we are commended by faith. Second, in verses eight to 39, we are continuing by faith. So we are commended and we continue by faith. This is to reinforce what we've discussed, that the righteous, those that are saved, are saved by faith alone. You're justified by faith. But the justified, those who are justified by faith, they live by faith completely trusting the person and the promises of God. The apostle James uses language in James chapter two, faith without works is dead, right? Jesus in two places in the gospel, Matthew seven is one of them. You can tell a tree by its fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. A saved person produces saved works, but a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. And so this is the same continuation of a biblical paradigm. It's normal. We talked about in Habakkuk last week in the Old Testament or two weeks ago. It's normal in the New Testament that when we are commended by faith, we continue by faith. All right. So first, before we pray, what is faith? As you remember, the Greek word for faith is this word pistis. It means trust, total trust. We've called it, you'll remember this alliteration, concrete confidence. If you don't remember alliteration, you remember the illustrative language of Godfidence. Godfidence is total confidence in God, his person, his word, and his promises. That's what faith is. 
But here's the problem. You and I are a lot alike. We see God's salvation and his direction and his promised destination as simply a suggestion. We cut corners, we move quickly, and we need grace and forgiveness. We need to. Because the truth is the security we're looking for, the status we long for, the strength that we need, everything that our heart desires is found in the person and work of Jesus. He will give you abundantly more than you can ask or imagine. It's his promise, and let's pray to him together that it would be his pleasure as we study his word. Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your work. We ask that you would speak to us today. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to receive. Lord, we want to know you more fully so we can serve you more faithfully. We pray this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. If you look at your Bibles in verses 1 to 7, we see a repeated word. The repeated word is commended. Our first point of two is that we are commended by faith. You see this in verse uh, two. It is the people of old who received their commendation by faith. They understood the universe was made. Verse four, God commended him, that is able, by accepting his offer. Uh, And then again in verse five, before he was taken, this is Enoch, he was commended as having pleased God. Again, if you look at your passage all the way down to verse 39, this is kind of a bookend that though uh, commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised, so they continued by faith. What does this word commended mean? This repeated word. It means simply this. In verse seven, he says it, that we are heirs of righteousness that comes by faith. We don't live by a scoreboard trying to impress God by our moral performance or by our actions, but we receive the scoreboard of Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live. He then went on to die the death we deserve to die so that by faith, he takes our sin, it's imputed to him, and we receive his righteousness. What we've talked about is that means that God is not angry with people who are in Christ. His anger against sin, his wrath has been satisfied through the work, you'll remember it's a big P word, the propitiation of Christ. He took God's wrath so that in Christ you can receive his love. Jesus took our sin so that he could give you his righteousness. Jesus died in our place so that through him you can live. Jesus took the poverty of our humanity so that you could experience the richness of God's grace and God's love. It's a great exchange. That's what it means to be commended by Christ, commended to Christ, to have that right standing. Now, this position that we have leads to our practice. And we see, though, as we unpack this, uh, there's several elements that we need to be able to comprehend. First, uh, faith is defined as believing that God exists. Do you see this uh, right here? For by it, we understand, by faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God. What is seen was made out of what is not visible. God is creator. By his word, everything was made. By his design, we are to live. We live in a culture 
that is rebelling against this fundamental reality. Our creator has a design. He created us in his image as male and female. He created us in his image to come together in marriage as male and female, the two becoming one flesh to reflect the image of God who is three in one. We embrace that God is the creator. We accept his word, but also we celebrate him as our savior. The examples that are given when we're made right from God, it was Abel whose worship was made right by faith. It was Noah whose work was made right by his faith. And then it was Enoch whose general witness walking through life was made right by faith. This commendation is not just a one-time positional acclamation. You are righteous in Christ, but it leads to a life that is marked with worship. God is our creator, but he's also our savior. Jesus is our savior, but he's also our Lord. And that means we don't hear his direction as a suggestion. We have total trust in Jesus because we have total acceptance in the love of our heavenly father. Now I had a stack of books. I was telling our Sunday school class, well, I used another book. Once I got that, uh, my semester finished, I'm, I'm working on some doctoral stuff and I got my stuff in on April 30th and I had this stack of books that I couldn't wait to tear through. And uh, I, I shared an illustration from the new uh, Eugene Peterson um, uh, biography. I'm not going to mention it here, but if you haven't read it, it is fantastic. Uh, fire in my bones. But what I do want to suggest is this book by Derwin L. Gray. It's called How to Heal Our Racial Divide. And this book is probably, let me rephrase, this book is the best book I've read on the reality of diagnosing my own racism and the racism of our, the church of Jesus Christ in a gospel-centered way to bring healing and hope. And I cannot recommend this enough to you, but what I was taken by, he's a former NFL athlete. Uh, he played for two NFL teams. Uh, he's a pastor of a church now. He came to Christ through the NFL. But listen to the way that he describes faith that made him righteous and then having a call to live righteously by faith. He says this, this summarizes the, the commendation in continuing. He says, when I first met Jesus, I was so in love with him for making me righteous. But then I sensed the Holy Spirit. Now it is time to see and to treat your brothers and sisters as the righteousness of the Messiah that you have received. This changed everything. First, it intensified my love for Jesus and the greatness of my salvation. I finally saw hope for God's people to be the means of healing the racial divide. Second, my wife and I decided that we would plant a gospel-shaped church, multi-ethnic, that would reach the lost and cultivate, get this language, a congregation of disciples that are color-blessed and not color-blind. This is a great picture of what it means to not only be commended by faith, 
to celebrate the righteousness of, we have in Christ, but to continue by faith, to follow the call he has on our life, to walk by faith, following his direction and his design to the destination that he's marked for us. This takes us to, from our position in Christ to our practice. We are not only commended by faith, but we continued by faith. Now, you're probably more like me than you want to admit. And I am more like my dog than I want to confess. Here's what dogs do. Dogs, they pick up a scent and they just follow it, right? They just run chasing their nose. You can call their names. They can be the most loyal dog in the world, but they follow a scent and they just run after it. And they can just run to neighbor's yards that they shouldn't go to, down the streets and into highways they shouldn't because they're following their nose. Oftentimes as humans, we follow our desires, our instincts, and our feelings like dogs follow a scent. Faith has total confidence in God, his word, his way for our walk and our steps. And we trust his timing and we trust his promises. Now, Faith does not guarantee you get what you hope for. If you look down in your passage, you're going to see that verse 13, look at this. It says that they died not having received what was promised. Uh, keep reading uh, all the way to 17, 16. They desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. Here's the truth of faith. We don't live by feeling. We are directed by fact. Jesus has lived and died and risen from the grave. Fact. Jesus has ascended into heaven and he's gone to prepare a place for us. Fact. Jesus will return as king and heaven will come to earth and we will have a better country and a better world. Fact. Right now, Jesus is on the throne, Revelation 21, and he is making all things new. Fact. But Mitchell, I don't see it. Mitchell, I don't feel it. Mitchell, I can't experience it. That is why faith calls us to live not by what we see, but by what God promises. Not what we feel, but the fact of his work and not the paradigms that are self-centered, self-focused, and self-exalting like you're trying to beat Siri on some sort of road race. But we trust his timing, his destination, and his direction. So what does this look like in our life? Well, verses 17 to 21 walks us through the life of Abraham. And Abraham was called by God. He left his country. He left his family. He left what was familiar. And you can read about it. Read it when you get home. Read it tonight. It will take you six to 10 minutes to read this chapter, max. You'll thank me if you take time to do it. But Abraham left, and, and this guy was old when he left. And we had so much fun talking about this in Sunday school. He was promised, he's described in verse 12, as as good as dead. That's how old he was. And he was promised that he would have a child. This guy was so old that he could be described as a grave. But he turned out 
to be the birthplace, the fountain of the people of God. God made this promise to him and Abraham believed God and it counted to him as righteousness. But then it focuses on faith gave him this child, Isaac. And then in chapter 21 of Genesis, God called Isaac to sacrifice, Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And when we are being tested in life, tested of whether or not God's promise is really true, tested as to whether or not he's going to be faithful to his word, tested as to whether or not his design is the right direction for our steps. Faith is sure of what we hope for. In fact, Abraham is described as even believing that God would bring Isaac back from the dead if he did it. So faith in and of itself, it trusts God in our tests. And I know this means a lot to a lot of you because you're going through tests right now you're being tested as where you're going to find your hope. You're being tested as where you're going to find an answer to questions that you have. You're being tested as to where your loneliness is going to find ultimate satisfaction of where your fears and anxiety are going to actually find peace. And when faith is tested, it is sure of the person and the promises of God his direction to the destination he's calling us to. I was with a man this week. I love being a pastor at the beginning of the week. And he had so many questions, so many burdens. And he looked at me. He said, what do I do, pastor? And I said, confidently, I have no idea. But I know the one who does. Can we pray? And we claimed that promise and prayer of the Old Testament that says, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. In the area of anxiety, turned into an arena, a place of peace from faith. So in our tests, faith claims God's promises, but not only that, we go to what we treasure in this world. And a lot of us in chapters of verses 22 to 28, a lot of us are afraid to walk by faith because it leads us to more trials. To actually claim the name of Jesus, to walk in the way of Jesus with our wealth, with our relationships, with what we do in our free time, for the priorities in our life, it actually causes us to experience troubles. Now, all through the New Testament, disciples are taught to welcome persecution. Jesus says it himself, that blessed are those who are persecuted. His brother James says that we need to count it all joy when we face trials of any kind, right? But we're hard-headed to really embrace this reality. The illustration that was given in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 is Moses. And Moses, who was raised in the palace of Egypt, the prince of Egypt, could have maintained his place, but he decided to, to embrace the riches of Christ more than the reproach of those who stood in conflict. That's what it says. In faith, actually trust God in treasuring him and his promises more than the things of this world, whether that's acceptance from friends, acceptance from uh, uh, business uh, workers, 
uh, colleagues, business workers, colleagues, uh, whether, whether that is your reputation, your raise, we trust God and treasure him and his promises more. Next, it trusts God in tests. It treasures God more than things of this world, but faith also tracks with God's direction externally and internally. Now you say this, Mitchell, I've tried following God before and it just seems like a dead end. And you know what I say? Welcome to the club. Sometimes it feels that way, but your dead ends are actually new beginnings for God to show his glory. The Red Sea. When, when the author of Hebrews is talking about faith that tracks with God's direction, he gives the illustration of the Israelites who were dream, redeemed from Egypt, slaves that were freed by the blood of the lamb. They walk into the wilderness to worship the Lord, following God, following his direction, joyfully living in victory. And the, the most powerful army in the world decides to chase them down. And when they finally catch them, they can go nowhere because there's a, a sea in front of them. The Red Sea. And what faith shows us is that God provides a path in his providence when all you see are problems and all you feel is pain. That when you trust God in his direction, it may not look like you have a way forward, but it's not the time for you to grab what is convenient, to grab what you see, to try to live by your own control or your own worst ways, but it is to trust God because he will make a way. He does it because he's faithful. Externally, we feel pressure. Internally, we're like Rahab, the next example that is given. Rahab was a prostitute, completely disqualified from God's people by virtue of her nationality. She was not Jewish. She was a Canaanite, a woman, a woman of ill repute, used by society, an outcast, marginalized, refuge. But in God's economy, she was a daughter that he saved because she believed. You see, externally, we have Red Sea moments where we're wandering in the wilderness. We don't see a way forward, but internally we feel the sin of our shame because our culture tells us that we're damaged goods. We can't go further. We've failed too much. We've messed up too much. We, God can't use someone like you. And that is a lie. Internally, the gospel renews us. The gospel takes your struggles and he makes them strengths. The gospel takes your weaknesses and it's a place where God says, I will display the sufficiency of my grace. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so God invites us to track with his direction by faith, to trust him when there's internal and external difficulties. I was reminded of a good illustration of this uh, this week as I, I traveled. At the end of the week, I got to go to San Diego for this really fun conference. And uh, I flew on the plane. My first flight was San Antonio, Phoenix. And I sat next to like the biggest, strongest guy I have sat next to in a long time. Huge dude. And he was wearing Iron Man everything. He had an Iron Man ring on, Iron Man necklace, Iron Man bag. He, he looked like Iron Man. He was labeled as Iron Man. And I said to him, I said, uh, what's your association with Iron Man? 
And he was, you know, do you know what an Ironman is? It's a, it's a single race where you run a marathon, you ride your bike 100, how many miles? 112 miles. And you swim like a whole lot. <laughs> and this guy looked like he not only loved it, but he lived it. And he did. His name was Jose. And uh, I said, Jose, you're running this, this is a little side note. I said, Jose, who, who's won the most? He's on his way to the world championships, all right? I, I said, who's won the most world championships? And he goes, uh, he tells me about this woman. This is a total side note. She's won five in a row. And I said, what is her secret? And he goes, she just shows up. She's an 85-year-old nun, and she's the only one in her category. <laughs> yeah, right? I was like, oh, okay. He's like, literally, she just shows up and finishes. I was like, well, there's a lesson in that. But here, here's, here's what I want to tell you. I, I was like, she's a nun. Is God on her side? Like, no, she just shows up. But I said, Jose, what's the hardest part of competing in the world championships for Ironman? He says, first of all, You've got to push through suffering and struggle and pain like I can't describe. He goes, and you have to keep yourself going no matter what's external. And internally, he said, the way you do it, he says, you got to keep the finish line in your mind. You got to know where you're going and you just don't stop. I was like, that's it. We're, we don't have faith in ourselves, the finish line of this race we're going to, but, but faith is trusting God's direction no matter what struggle we're up against, no matter how serious the pain we feel, we keep going, sustained by God's grace, drinking his word, eating his word, walking in his ways, and we keep the finish line in our mind. This new heavens and this new earth the place where all sad things are gonna become untrue, that death will be no more, that sickness will be eradicated, that all pain and problems will be transformed. It is a mental, it is a heart, it is a physical game that pushes through all of our worldly pain. And you say, Mitchell, I thought if I had faith and I trusted God's design, I thought everything worked out well. I thought I had prosperity. I thought I had wealth and I thought I, had, I, thought I, I, thought I, I would be healthy. Isn't that what happens when I have faith? And Mitchell replies, no. Read the end of the chapter. The last few verses, yes, they conquered kingdoms. Yes, they closed the mouth of lions. Yes, they walked through flames. Yes, they lived victoriously. But look at the descriptions of them. They were tortured, mocked, flogged, imprisoned, stoning, afflicted, mistreated, sawed in two. Welcome to the life that Jesus has for you. Discipleship costs us something, but it's nothing compared to the treasures in heaven that he says we're building up. So a life lived by, saved by faith is one that celebrates God's grace. A life lived in faith is one that looks like love. And so we can navigate with this quote right here. This is just a hodgepodge of things that I put together. Faith, it's a bridge it's a bridge between the brokenness of our world and the new beginnings that God has for us. Faith is how we navigate the tension between pain and problems and God's promises. Faith in the Lord is a handle for our hope and it turns our focus from our frustrations to our faithful father. It's how we live in a world of tragedy and we trust God's sovereignty. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you love us.
We thank you, Lord, that you are worthy of our total trust, concrete confidence in our Godfidence. Thank you, Lord, that when we're saved by faith, we can live freely as your children. Help us to be people who focus fully on your face as our heavenly father. Lord, we love you and we beg you to work in us a faith that trusts you in everything that we can love everyone and be faithful in everywhere you've called us. Jesus, we pray in your name, amen. Let's stand, we respond to God's word through worshiping our God.